Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. So sometimes God asks us to do things that we don't want to do. Like sometimes he tells us to go places we don't want to go. And sometimes he asks us to take a step of faith that we don't want to take. He asks us to do stuff that we don't want to do. In fact, sometimes God's like, hey, Alex, go over there. And I'm like, hold on a second. Where do you mean? Like over there? Like right there. That's where you're talking about? And uh, he's like, yeah, that's where I want you to go. And I'm like, I don't want to go there, God. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go over here. It'll all be good. You just need to go over here. And I'm like, I don't want to. And he says, just go over here. And I say, hold on a minute, God. And I just say, all right. And I run as far away as I can. Also, I'm super out of shape. Because running around there really wore me out. But sometimes, God asks me to go that way, and I just run as fast and as far as I can the other direction. I try to get as far away from him and what he wants me to do as I can. A friend of mine, a few years ago, sorry, I'm really out of breath for running around. I'm that bad out of shape. A friend of mine was in charge of putting together a huge conference a few years ago. And uh, it was a big conference to get people to start churches and plant churches. And so he had big name speakers come in who have written books and lead large churches and have done, uh, God's done great things to them. He had all kinds of big name Christian bands. And uh, they had this huge event. And at the end of the event, they handed out cards and said, what is God telling you to do? And so thousands of people showed up at this event, and they all got this card that says, what is God telling you to do? And then a few weeks after the event, I followed up with them, and I said, so tell me, did this event lead to a lot of people wanting to start churches? Did it lead to a lot of people saying, hey, we want to go and start a church? And he chuckled sadly to me, and he said, you know what, Alex? He said, most of the responses we got said something like this. Uh, can I plant a church in Hawaii? Is there any openings at churches getting started on any beaches? Is there a nice resort place where we could start a church? And he says, I don't think so much that we want to hear a call from God as we want to go somewhere that's fun or comfortable. And so they had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, who knows how much, on this event to attract new church planters. And what they found is most of the time, we don't want to go where God calls us. We want to go somewhere that we think is fun. But if I'm honest, a lot of times I think like that. I say, God, if you make the step of faith you're asking me to do seem amazing, then I'll sign up. If you make it seem like it's going to be fun and enjoyable, I'll go. But I don't want to go somewhere hard or difficult, somewhere where you might need people, where there might be needs of people, where you want to actually do something. I want to go somewhere comfortable and fun. If God had said, Alex, move to the Philadelphia region, start a church, you're going to have 10,000 people by the end of year one. I'd be like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. That sounds great. You can promise me a $100,000 salary and a, a nice home and a lot of people to listen to what I have to say. Man, God, that sounds great. Let's do it. Or if he said, you know what? We're going to start something that's going to blow your mind. But instead he says, hey, I want you to go and work. And it might be slow. And it might be difficult. And it might be disappointing. 
See, the problem is we want to go places that are fun and comfortable. We want God to call us to a step of faith that's fun and comfortable. But God usually calls us to deserts, not beaches. He usually calls us to deserts because that's where there's people who he needs to show his love to through us. He calls us to deserts because that's where people need to drink living water. You don't need to call people to beaches. People just naturally go to beaches. We like beaches, right? You need to call people to deserts because they don't naturally go there. At the end of the month, Darby and I are going to the beach. Nobody was like, I'm forcing you to go to this beach. I want to go. I like going out in the ocean. I like um, laying out in the, on the beach and reading. And I enjoy being with my family. Many times God is calling us to deserts, not beaches. Now, when I was a kid, my family didn't go to church. They started going to church. And uh, pretty soon, within a couple years, we met a missionary. There would seem to be these people who lived really difficult lives in really difficult places and spent a lot of time learning really difficult languages so they could talk to people about Jesus. And this first one I met, she was a young lady, she wasn't married, and she lived in Africa, and she worked with this African tribe in the middle of nowhere, and I just started praying, God, don't send me to Africa. I was like, apparently we're serving this being, this God who apparently just says, here's a horrible place, I'm going to send you there. And so one of my earliest memories in church is every service I would come in and I'd say, just don't send me to Africa. Don't send me to Africa. You can literally do anything else you want in the world. Zombie apocalypse, a nuclear bomb, I don't care. Just don't send me to Africa. And so that's what I just kept praying. And as I got older, I thought, if God does send me to Africa, I'll just say no. People say no to God all the time, right? If God asks you to do something you don't want to do, if it's uncomfortable, it makes you change your life, makes you change your schedule, you just say no, right? And so I decided that if he sends me to Africa, I'll just say no and I'll do what I want. And I think a lot of us think like this. God ended up sending me somewhere much worse than Africa. He sent me to Philadelphia, right? <laughs> just kidding. I love it here. Um, but I think a lot of us think we trust God with our eternal soul, but when it gets down to our everyday life, we're like, yeah, I got this guy. Like, I'm not going to trust that you're going to send me someplace that's ultimately going to be good. You're going to send me to bad places that are going to harm me and hurt me. We don't want to go to the places when God says, hey, go over there. We know that he'll probably use it to make the world better, but I'd rather he just make my life better rather than make the world better for someone else. Going over there might make me lose my comfort, and really my comfort is God instead of God. And so we just say no. But the thing is, God doesn't call us to take a step of faith on a whim. He doesn't have a big dartboard, you know, and he throws it, and he's like, I'm going to send Alex over here. That sounds good, you know. He just throws it, and he's like, I think you should go help this person. That's going to be your step of faith. God hasn't just randomly picked places to send us and things for us to do on a whim. He doesn't lay out steps of faith at random. You and I were designed to accomplish certain things on this planet. He built strengths and weaknesses into your personality, into your experiences, into your DNA to equip us to change the world in his name. And so when he calls you to a step of faith, he's not just like, well, I needed somebody to do it and you're available. He's like, you were made for this. If you run from your step of faith, we're trying to run from who we really are and what we were designed to do, what we were created for. Hammers are made to hit nails. But can you imagine if you picked up a hammer and you went to hit a nail and it goes, wait, 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 wait. I want to paint. 
I'm sick of getting hit all the time and beating against nails. I really want to paint. I want to be used as a paintbrush. You could try to paint with that hammer, it wouldn't do a very good job. Also, you should check your prescription because tools are talking to you and they shouldn't be. So, but I, I think sometimes we're like, I, God made me to be a hammer and he wants to use me to hit some nails, but that hurts too much. So I'll just try to be a paintbrush. You were designed for a step of faith. If God calls you to a step of faith, you were put here to take that step of faith. It's not by accident. You can't escape that. That's the reality of who you are. You're trying to run away from who you are if you try to run from your step of faith. A step of faith shouldn't depress us or make us feel trapped. It should show us that it's our destiny. It's why we were put here. It's what we were made to do. Now, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet who when God asked him to do things he didn't like, he said no. Prophets in the Old Testament sometimes told the future. That's usually what we think. We're like, ooh, mysterious prophet predicting the future. But 99% of the time in the Old Testament, prophets didn't predict the future. Instead, they called out people in the present for what they were doing wrong. And so over and over again, if you read the prophets in the Old Testament, they go up to people, sometimes the nation of Israel, sometimes the nation of Judah, sometimes to other nations, and they say, hey, you're really messing up here. And as a result of messing up, people are suffering, and you need to change. And so that was overwhelmingly their message. And Jonah, he had actually come up in another place in the Old Testament. He did this. He served the nation of Israel, and he was a fine prophet. But then God asks him to go outside of Israel and talk to a foreign nation, and he just says no. He was someone who didn't want to do some of the things God asked him to do, so he just ran away. And we're going to jump into the story here in Jonah chapter 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. What does that mean, word of the Lord? It means God spoke to him. That's going to come up later in the story. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So many times that verse 3 could be, but Alex ran away from the Lord. God said, go talk to this person. And God said, go do this. God said, go move over here. God said, stand up for this or back down over here. And instead, Alex ran away and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. You know sometimes when you wake up in the middle of the night feeling guilty about something and then other times you'll, you'll sleep perfectly well and people will be like, you must have a clean conscience because you sleep. Sometimes you can just sleep. Like, he did not have a clean conscience, but he just sleep. Just because you're sleeping doesn't mean you have a clean conscience. The captain went to him and said, how can you be asleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we did not perish. He says, maybe God will notice us if you call on him. The very fact they were in a storm was because God noticed and then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? 
So essentially, they're like, you're the problem. This is why we're all going to die. So you better start answering some questions. And so they're asking him all these questions. They're shouting all these questions at him. And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what did you do to make your God so angry? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. I, I would love to see Jonah going down to rent the ship, you know, to get passage. He's like, hey, I'm trying to run away from God. Is it cool if I get on your ship? They're like, hey, you got money? It's cool with us, you know? Here's your ticket. Like, they don't care. Um, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what can we do to make the sea calm down? He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, he could have said something else here. He could have said, let's turn the boat around and head for Nineveh, and I bet the storm's going to go away. But he's like, no, no, I still don't want to go to Nineveh. Just kill me, because killing me is better than doing what God asked of me. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for murdering an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah, they threw him over the ship, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God starts out here by saying, go to Nineveh. That's what he commanded Jonah. And you're like, what's the big deal? Jonah, just get over there to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. I think we have a map up here. Yeah. So Jonah was in Israel. Joppa was about 60 miles away to get to the coast. Nineveh was about 550 miles across the land. He was headed for Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Like, he literally was like, I'm not just going to get out of the state or out of the country. He's like, I'm going to get off this planet. Like, I'm going to get as far away from this because God's going to find some way to get me over there to Nineveh. So I'm going to run as far and as fast as I can. But what was the big deal about Nineveh? Why was he so scared of Nineveh? Why was he so against Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And in 600 AD, Nineveh is the largest city in the world. A couple hundred thousand people live there. The ruins of that city still exist in Mosul, Iraq, today. Even though when ISIS was there, they took camp in the uh, old ruins of Nineveh, they actually bulldozed some of that. But there still remains of Nineveh to this day. And the Assyrians built and maintained their empire through sheer terror. People were terrified of them because they were sadistic, barbaric torturers. One time when a city rebelled, the king of Assyria went to that city, reconquered it, and skinned alive every man in the city and covered the walls of the city with the skins of the men that he skinned alive. So that every time the people in that city looked up at the walls surrounding them, they knew that their dead fathers and brothers and sons were on those walls. They remembered the screams of their whole families being skinned alive. They were the people who invented impaling. They would take a sharpened stick, and while you were alive, they would shove you down on the sharpened stick so that you could die there. And so outside of a conquered city, they would take your heroes, and they would impale them, so that as you walked up to the city, you knew, there's your heroes. They all fell before Assyria. They were the first people, one of the first people, to use iron weapons. 
And so most people at this point were still in the Bronze Age and using bronze weapons, and an iron sword could cut a bronze sword in half. Most people still used sandals, but they were the first to invent army boots for their soldiers. As you think of army boots today that armies still use, that was created by the Assyrians. And so in combat, they had better mobility. They could fight in the rain. They could fight on loose soil because they didn't slip in sandals. They were an unstoppable juggernaut of torment. Anywhere the Assyrians went, they left weeping and they left terror and torment. They rolled the Middle East with an iron fist. They were a cruel and evil people. And God called Jonah one day and said, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and I want you to march into that city and say, you're evil, and if you don't change, God is going to destroy you. And Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. They skin people. They impale people. I'm not going over there and do it. God, you're asking me to commit suicide. You're asking me to not just commit suicide, but to suffer greatly before dying horribly. So Jonah did what most of us would do. If God appeared to you and said, go to North Korea and tell them they're evil people, and if they don't change, I'm going to destroy them. Or if he said, go to Iran and tell them you're, you're evil people and God is going to destroy you. Or go to ISIS and tell them you're evil people and God is going to destroy you if you don't change. Jonah ran. And he ran as fast and as far as he could. Tarshish was the end of the known world at the time. It was a port in what's modern day Spain. It was as far away from civilization as you could get. Because he knew he wouldn't just die if he went to Assyria. He would die horribly after suffering a long time. So Jonah runs. He runs away from God. Now he knows, as we know, that we can never get away from God, right? God's everywhere. No matter how far you flee or how deep you hide, you can't escape God because he's everywhere. But you know what? A lot of people in our world spend a lot of time trying to get away from everywhere that God might show up. We know that God is everywhere, but we know that he talks loudest in certain places. We know that he shows up and shows off in certain places, that we hear his voice clearest in some places, and so we try to avoid those places because we know God is going to say something we really don't want to hear. Have you ever done this where you're like, I know I've got something wrong in my life that I should be doing, and if I open up that Bible, he's going to tell me how destructive it is, and I just don't want to hear it. I just want to keep doing it, so I'm just not going to look in there. Or, you know, if I go into church, someone's going to share a message that's going to hit me between the eyes, and I don't want to hear that. I want to hear how good I am. I don't want to hear how messed up and how much in need of Jesus I am. I do this sometimes. Like, I listen to this podcast every week of this other pastor, and um, sometimes I'm like, man, right now I'm just depressed, and if I know I listen to that, God's going to challenge me that I shouldn't be depressed. I should trust in him, and I just want to, I just want to wallow on this a little bit more. So I'm not going to listen to that because I know it's going to force me to change. See, sometimes what we don't want to hear is exactly what we need to hear. Sometimes we need to hear some things we don't like to hear. So we avoid church or we avoid the Bible or we avoid that one friend that always loves us enough to tell us something when we're doing something stupid. We all need friends like that. Friends that tell us when our fly is down or there's spinach in our teeth or we need to blow our nose or we got our skirt tucked into our underwear and we walked out of the bathroom. Like you need a friend who says, hey, this is embarrassing, but just so you know, you've got an issue that needs taken care of. I need people like that. You need people like that. When we run from God, we run from the source of everything good. 
We think we're running away from where he's sending us to because that's going to be bad. But if you run away from the step of faith God's called you to, you're trying to run away from God. And God is the source of everything good. Everything good you have, everything you enjoy in life, everything that brings life and hope comes from God. I mean, that's what James 1.17 says. It says, every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Everything good in your life, I don't care if you believe in God or not. Everything good you have comes from him. The psalmist says that God sends rain on the evil and on the good. He sends good into everybody's life because he's a good God. And so when we try to run away from him, we're trying to run away from someone who wants to give us good. You know what I notice? Kids run away from the Easter Bunny because he's scary. But kids run towards Santa Claus because he gives them toys. You know, most of the time, if you see Santa Claus and you see a kid, they're like, Santa, Santa, you're going to give me stuff? It'd be dumb to run away from Santa, right? He gives you presents. Santa is good. But so many times we run from God, and he's the source of everything good in our life. So Jonah here, he's running away from his destiny, and in verse 4, God sends a great wind to blow him back on course. Not everything bad in your life is God redirecting you, but if you're trying to run away from God, sometimes God allows some things into your life to redirect you back on course. Sometimes I sit down with people during the week and I talk to them and they have, everything in their life has been designed to run as far away from God as they can. They're trying to eliminate any thought of God in their life. And then they usually ask me this question, why is my life so messed up? And I was like, you've been trying to avoid church, you've been trying to avoid scripture, you've been trying to avoid prayer. You don't want to even hear the name God, and you wonder why your life is such a mess. You've been trying to run away from God. And many times I've sat down with people who have not given God a single thought in years, and they say, why would God let me get caught up in this storm? It's like, this is the first time you've even thought about God. The first time you've even considered Him. You've been running away from God. Can you be surprised when you run into a storm? If you've been running from God, ignoring God, functioning as if God doesn't matter, as if he doesn't exist, and then you find yourself into a storm, God didn't send that storm to you to sink you. He's not like, huh, run from me? I'm going to torture you. The storm is a consequence of you running away from him. Think about this for a minute. Jonah never would have been in a storm in the Mediterranean if he was on a land journey to Nineveh. He would be in a ship at a in a storm at sea if you were on a donkey on your way to Nineveh. If you run towards him, you would have avoided this storm. But he was so scared of the storm that might happen in Nineveh that he ran into a storm out on the sea. We think, man, maybe if I run away from what God wants, I'll run into an easier, more comfortable life. Everybody's life is hard. Everybody's life has storms. But I would rather go to Nineveh with the power and presence of God than run out on the sea away from his power and presence. See, I think too often we blame God for the consequences of our own poor decisions. We do something stupid, we run away from God, we ignore Him, and then we're like, God, why did you let this happen? If God was good, we reason, He would have prevented any bad consequences from my stupid decisions. Isn't that what we do all the time? We do something stupid, and then we're like, God, just take these consequences away. If you're good, you wouldn't allow there to be bad consequences to my stupid, destructive decisions. But it isn't loving to help people avoid the consequences of destructive behavior. Talk to someone who's a family member of an addict. What they'll say, you have to show some hard love. 
you have to sometimes allow them to suffer the consequences of some of their bad decisions because it's what jars them awake. If God always took away the consequences of our destructive choices, all that would do is enable us to keep making destructive choices. If God loves us, if God is good, sometimes he has to let us realize that running from him leads to chaos, not to comfort as much as we might think it would. And that chaos always affects more people than us. Because now it's not just Jonah in a storm at sea. It's Jonah and a ship full of heathen sailors. And so the sailors here are like, man, this storm is bad. This is end of the world bad. We've never seen a storm like this. We need to figure out whose fault it is. Don't you love it? There's always somebody who's like, we can't just be in a bad situation. It's somebody's fault. Who can we blame for this? And so they cast lots. Now, in Old Testament days, we didn't Google when we didn't know something. They cast lots. There was no, you know, Google search. Um, so, you know, if there was a murder in the village, and they're like, who murdered this? They didn't do an investigation. They cast lots. So they threw out bones, or they threw out sticks, or they threw out dice. And so they're kind of like, okay, you're one, two, three, four, five, six. And they roll the dice, and they're like, four came up. Like, I'm a 93-year-old woman. You're the murderer. You know, they're like, that's how God speaks because God doesn't audibly speak. The, the gods that they worshipped were just idols who had ears but couldn't hear and had mouths but couldn't speak and had eyes but couldn't see. And so they said the only way that gods can speak to us is through luck and blind chance. And so this was a system that they figured out what their gods wanted and who was to blame and what they were supposed to do. Most of the gods that these cultures worshipped confounded them because they were random and they did random things and they they were trickster gods and they were easily annoyed and agitated and that's why ancient people were like the volcano went off even though we've been worshiping and sacrificing that doesn't make sense or this hurricane came because they saw in random acts the hand of a false god and so they cast lots and God in his wisdom allowed their lots to point toward Jonah. But I love that Jesus isn't like these false gods who constantly confound us or annoy us or agitate us. Jesus isn't like that. We have no excuse to not know what he wants because he has spoken to us. He has come in human form so that we might know him and know what he is like. And what does Jesus want from us? He wants us to become disciples. He wants us to become students of the way that he lived and loved. Now, in the West, we always think of students and we're like, sit in a class and open a book. Learn some things. Like, if you know the same things as Jesus knew, then you're his student. But really, to the first century, a disciple meant being an apprentice of the way that Jesus lived. Learning to model the behaviors of our master. We don't have to ask what God wants from us and roll a dice and try to, like, guess. God wants you to become like his son, Jesus. He wants you and me to live and love like Jesus. In Romans 8, 29, it says, Because we know God, it's now our destiny to become like his son, Jesus. So Jonah hatches a great plan here. This is Jonah's response when all the signs point to him. You know, he's watching them roll dice and he's like, Please let it not be me. Please let it not be me. And it shows up as him and he's like, Ah, they know. They know it's me. So he hatches a great plan. He, his plan should have been at this point, let's turn towards Nineveh. But this is his plan, throw me over the side. He still didn't want to go to Nineveh. 
Even in the midst of a storm, he says, being drowned is better than being skinned in Nineveh. He would rather die than take the step of faith that God laid out for him. And so these sailors here are like, we don't want to murder somebody. These rough sailors are like, we don't want to murder you. And Jonah's like, yeah, kill me. Throw me overboard. Jonah could have jumped. But he's like, no, no, I want you to throw me. I'm not going to kill myself. You need to kill me. You know some stubborn people? I'm a stubborn person. I'm one of those people where I'm like, there's the easy way. Let's see if we can make it harder. Like, I, I just like, my way is going to be a lot harder, but it's my way. So I'm going to do it that way. And there's a certain point where in your stubbornness, you're going to suffer more than if you just relent and admit that your wife is right and do it her way. But I don't do that. And that seems to be Jonah's problem here. He's like, God, I refuse to go to Nineveh, and I'm going to drown if I have to, but I'm going to stick to what I'm doing. Rather than go to Nineveh, I'd rather just drown. And God keeps whispering, if you just go to Nineveh, I'm going to do incredible things. If you just take that step of faith, I'm going to do incredible things. It's going to be hard. It's going to be scary, but I'm going to do incredible things. And Jonah, and too often I'm like, you know what, I'm going to run the other way. Because no matter what I run into over here, there's a known fear over here, and there's unknown fears over here. So I'll take these unknown fears, even if they're much worse than this imagined known fear over here. God's like, run back to me. I want to bless you. And we're like, you're not going to bless me, God, unless you bless me on my terms. I'm not going to do it your way. You better do it my way. You come to me. One of the things I love about God is even when we're running away from him, he's chasing us the whole so that when we turn around, we don't have to go all the way back to get to him. He's right behind us. He's one step away. Sometimes we make life way harder than it needs to be because we're running from something God has called us to because we imagine it's going to be so horrible. And we forget the worst horror in this world or in the next world is being absent or apart from the presence and power of God. See, we think, oh man, if I take this step of faith, it's going to be horrible. Running from the power and presence of God is the worst horror you can experience in your life. And so the sailors, they try, they try, they try, and they're like, we're at our wit's end. The ship's about to break apart. So they throw Jonah overboard, and the storm instantly stops. It's over. And so these heathen sailors... These pagans were so impressed by this display of a God who created everything, a God who actually talked to Jonah. They're like, our God doesn't talk to us. We've got to roll dice and try to figure out what he wants. A God who controls the sea and the storms. It says in verse 16, they made vows to serve this God. They abandoned their gods who did nothing for them in the storm. And now they said, we're going to serve this one true God, this God that this guy doesn't even want to follow and is trying to run away from. We're going to follow him. And so Jonah set out to run from God, and the sailors who took him ran right into God. I love that God is so good that even when we're running away from him, he can still reach people. Our disobedience doesn't defeat God's plans, but God wants to use people to reach people. He wants to use us to reach people. God didn't want to just reach a ship full of sailors, though. He wanted to reach the biggest city in the world. And so he didn't let Jonah off the hook. Instead, he baited the hook for a giant fish to swallow Jonah. And so we see in verse 17, for three days and three nights, Jonah had a choice. Sit in this belly of a fish 
or go to Nineveh. Keep running and keep running into horrible obstacles or turn and face the step of faith that God called him to do. I love that. Well, I don't love, but it, I think it's so true. It's so accurate. I love the pictures of the stories of people in the Bible because they look like me. They look like real people. I'd be that Jonas. And I'm like, I'm sitting in the gut of a fish. It stinks and I'm slowly being melted by digestive stomach fluid. And you know what? I'm not going to Nineveh. You can't make me. And then finally, after three days, I'm like, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. You know, like that's how I usually act in my spiritual life. I try to run as far and as fast as I can for as long as I can until I'm finally like, okay, it was a storm and I still kept running. It's the fish guts and it took me three more days to finally relent. And so Jonah finally gets to Nineveh. It's not in this portion that we read here in verses, uh, in chapters 3 and 4. And he starts preaching. It says the city is so big it takes him three days of walking around the city to tell everybody and walk everywhere and tell them this message. And it's a very simple message. You're evil and God is going to destroy you unless you change. What a great message. You know, it's not like this was really profound, like a really great speaker. It's really simple. So he preaches everywhere. And it says, from the king, from everyone on down, the whole city repents and falls on their knees and begs the God of Israel to forgive them and spare them. And you know what? God does. But Jonah, he climbs up on a hill outside of the city. He gets a good viewpoint because he's like, God's going to burn this city down. He's been watching people all week repent all, all over these three days saying, God, please don't kill us. Please don't kill us. We are sorry. We're going to change. And he goes out there and he sits and he's like, man, it's going to be a good fireworks show when God roasts this city up. These people are going to get what they want, what they deserve. And then God shows them mercy. And he says, no, I'm not going to destroy them because they changed. They repented. They turned away from how they were and they're going to be different. And Jonah gets so mad. He says, how dare you, God, show your mercy to this horrible, vicious people. They skin people. They impale people. They're horrible. God had shown Jonah a lot of mercy in the storm and in the fish. But he doesn't want God to show the same mercy to other people. You know, we tend to be blind to how unforgiving we are as a people. We want God to forgive us all the time. But then we don't want to forgive other people. We don't want God to forgive other people. We want them to get what's coming to them. And God has this great statement. He tells Jonah, don't you feel anything for the men and the women and the children that he preached to? Don't you feel anything? And God even says, even for the animals in this city. It's like, okay, you're not a people person, Jonah. You at least love the little furry animals in town, right? You don't want them to get burned up. He says, I don't want to destroy them. I love that God is so good. He would rather change evil people than destroy evil people. Why? Because I'm an evil person. You're evil people. We've all done things and thought things and said things that have hurt our world. They've been destructive and not helpful. But God doesn't say, oh, I'm going to destroy you. He says, I'm going to change you. In the New Testament, Jesus says that the Jonah story is really a picture that points to him. In Matthew 12, 38 through 41, some of the Pharisees, these were religious teachers in Jesus' day, who thought they really had it all together. You probably know some religious people like that, right? They're like, we're perfect, and the rest of you are garbage. And teachers of the law, these are people who had memorized the Old Testament, and they thought they had so much knowledge that that made them spiritual. And they said to Jesus, teacher, we want a sign from you. 
If you're really God, if you're really the Messiah, prove it. Show us. Make us see what you are. And here's what he said. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. A wicked and adulterous generation has to see something in order to believe. And I think to myself, how often am I like that? Like, I'm like, God, prove that my faith is right. Prove to me that you talk to me and that I'm doing what you're saying. Like, prove to all these people. Prove to me. And he says, you're wicked and adulterous when you have to see it. You have to trust. He says, the only sign that I'm going to give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. He says, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. He says, the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now someone greater than Jonah is here. And so what Jesus says is, there's going to be people from Nineveh at the end of everything. And they're going to look at the Pharisees, these religious people who thought they had it all together and say, We heard the preaching of Jonah and we, we repented. You heard the preaching of Jesus and you said, I'm good. I don't even listen to him. I don't need Jesus. There will be people from Nineveh who heard a crazy man go around and say, if you don't change, God's going to destroy you. Who stand with us at the end of time because they repented. And Jonah, at the end of his story, he goes up on a mountain and he looks at a city and he says, destroy them. And Jesus at the end of his ministry, is dragged out to the top of a mountain and strung up on a cross, and he looks out on the city of Jerusalem, and he looks out on the world, and he looks out on us across time and space, and he says, I forgive them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. And thank you for the challenge to live and love like you do. Lord, I pray that today we will think about what we've heard, whether that's something from Scripture, something that I've said, something that the Holy Spirit spoke to our heart. I pray that we'll think about what we need to do as a result, because simply hearing things, simply learning more information about you makes us like the Pharisees. It doesn't make us like Jesus. We become like Jesus when we begin to live and love like you did. Lord, help us not to put off what we need to do, but Lord, let us do it right away. Let us set a time and say, I'm going to act on what I've heard. It's not just going to go into my storage banks and be like, oh good, I know more and I can use that later. But it'll be something we put into practice. And finally, God, I pray that we will not take steps of faith alone, but we'll recognize that we can come alongside each other, we can stand with each other, and we can help each other take the steps of faith that we need to do to fulfill our destiny, to step into the life that you created us. I pray all these things like I believe Jesus would. Amen.